we'll get it started. Henry, the last time you joined us was on Score the Podcast. Robert and I came to your place, and I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of days after, I'm a you know at my day job, I'm a, a news guy. I was out on your street giving you updates if your house was burning down or not. <laughs> oh God, yeah. And uh, um, first off, are you still in the same house? Was everything yeah. okay after that? It burnt down the fence and got as far as burning the solar on the roof. And then the fire officers got it just before it took the house down. Wow. Wow. So you're the last house. Yeah, it was crazy. That is wild. Well, I, I was so glad because I'm like, you know, this looks, this street looks so familiar. It was a little dark clouds over it. I'm like, wait a second. Oh, my God. Um, well, I'm glad everything worked out. We know you have a lot of sweet musical gear and I'm sure a lot of projects you were in the middle of. So I can't imagine the stress no, you but were I, going through. I appreciate the call that, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was too close for comfort that one. Um, so let's get caught up with you. Uh, you know, a lot of our chats with composers are the first time since like the whole pandemic thing, you had the gray man come out on Netflix, which is a huge monster film. I mean, they said it was the number one film that weekend in like 85 countries or something like that. Um, so I guess that's the way we measure things now if it doesn't go to the box office. But um, yeah. catch us up on your life and your projects. And I know you're a, a, a new dad as well. Um, tell us a little bit about what's the latest with Henry Jackman. Well, I was going to say uh, it's probably a sign of the times that the first thing I'm thinking when you say, uh, if you'd asked me five years ago, like, tell me what's going on, I'd probably start prattling on about work. Whereas, in fact, now if you go, what's going on? I guess the first thing I'd say is I've got a beautiful son called James. Nice. Um, and he's 18 months old. And, uh, you know, I can already tell he's got good ears. Um, he, he's obsessed by trucks and cars and whatnot. And he's got he's only 18 months. But when the trash truck comes up Tiger Tail Road, he hears it from about half a mile off. And he recognizes that it's the trash truck because he likes to go out and see it. And he, go, he goes, uh, uh, what's, what's he called? Truc, truco caca. Uh, he calls it the caca truck, <laughs> uh, but he, he's got pretty good ears and he can, rec you know, when birds fly over and sing, he goes, uh, he speaks a lot of Spanish because my partner's Spanish. He goes, Paja, pajaro. So he, he's, he follows sound and he already recognizes, you know, different sound and whatnot. So anyway, there's the update uh, on James. Yeah. Since you were that last podcast, I can't remember how many projects, God, probably Ron's Gone Wrong was after that. And, um, and Pikachu great. was just coming out when we were talking. Really? Wow. That was a while ago. Yeah. So I guess the most obvious, the latest ones, yeah, Gray Man and Strange World, which couldn't be more opposite projects. Yeah, Gray Man. Actually, Gray Man was the first time I ended up recording in London. And although there were some restrictions, it was a welcome, really, because I did this uh, Comey TV show that I really enjoyed. And that, that was right in the middle of the pandemic. That was like musicians on their own, like recording in their own little booths and us having to like amalgamate all the recordings. Those were sad, sad times. I mean, it's amazing. We managed to get a half decent sound, but you know, we'd gone from everyone in their own cubicle to gray man uh, was in Abbey road and air studios. At least then we could record all of the brass section, all of the strings, but it was separate. Whereas this Disney movie that just happened was, down at Sony, full symphony orchestra uh, in the room. So it's like, okay, we're getting on top of the This virus is now losing and we're winning. Yeah, yeah it's exciting to be back. Real, real quick about James before we get into your movies. How soon does uh, an instrument get put in front of James? Are, are you going to be <laughs> that oh, dad? He's already got a toy piano. Uh, yeah, he's already got a toy piano and he's got very, you know, he's got this thing that's sort of like a xylophone and a glockenspiel and a couple of drums kind of all built into one thing, uh, that he likes to play. Um, and he dances. If he hears music, he just starts kind of moving around. Um, he can say Mozart. He goes, he goes like, oh, no, Beethoven. So he goes like, Beto, Beto. When he, he recognizes, because he's got this. He's got this book where you open up the different pages that, you know, it plays. And even if you, he doesn't see the book open, if he hears, da 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 da
You got to uh, sneak them into, sample them into a score at some point with, with the xylophone. <laughs> yeah, I think that, yeah, that might be a bit indulgent. But giving up, giving up on Cherry, I did this one track called What I'm Trying to Say Is that was because I was stuck on my own in a room on a hill. It was all me doing, playing these various instruments, many of which I was very much not qualified to play. So it can't be any worse than that. <laughs> was that in the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. So even Cherry was... And of course, yeah, that was that wild. Yeah, yeah, I, I, that was one of my weirdest, most eccentric scores. And I thought that movie was so beautiful that some of the critics got their knickers in a twist about it and weren't too keen on it. But I thought it's if you haven't seen Cherry, you should check it out. It's a really, I mean, forget That's about Apple the, TV, right? Yeah, forget about the music, just the what the root it's so not what Joe and Anthony had done up until then, which is maybe what freaked people out a little bit. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Um, really, really well directed. Um, how, do, how does it differ when you work with them marvel versus non-marvel like is is there a, an obvious noticeable difference for you yeah probably i mean they they still have the the trick with marvel which i think they've done such a good job at clearly there's a difference between directing something out and out that's you know just your thing versus if you direct something in a known franchise especially something as successful and has developed i mean kevin feige must be one of the only people in history and you know the star wars franchise is a big deal but the marvel thing is just you know if you think about the amount of characters and the amount of tie-ins and everything you would have to be naive as a director if you believe your mission is to ignore anything and everything that's gone before and just do whatever the hell you want clearly that's not true you've got to have your left foot you know in the marvel established universe and the right foot you know you should have some freedom that's part of the genius of kevin's vision is that you know we they keep inviting new talent and new directors precisely to get you know that fresh vision but you know it's still got to be rooted in the mc universe so i think the russos nailed how to do that in other words there's no way you could point even though like winter soldier was quite a departure um in tone but there's no way you would sit there and go, hey, this is not a Marvel film. Of course it's a Marvel film. It feels absolutely like a Marvel film. It doesn't feel anything like the first Captain. The Winter Soldier didn't feel tonally anything right. like the first Avenger. Um, but they have that genius of, of, of like being able to find their voice within the Marvel umbrella, which happened again on Civil War and on both those Avengers movies. But but it is within a uh, an umbrella set of aesthetics that are sort of predetermined. Um, whereas, you know, if you watch Cherry, I mean, it's just like a million miles away. Um, so I guess it's like, once I started working with them outside of Marvel, it's like a turbocharged version of their vision. And also, you know, I mean, by definition, Marvel's going to be a superhero movie. Cherry's about, um, you know, a guy who gets launches off uh, to, you know, Iraq and has post-traumatic stress disorder and there's there's lots of drug taking scenes and kind of you know it's just tonally a very different and much more experimental um kind of a movie and then you know i guess it's just i it, it wasn't like a schizophrenic experience where suddenly i didn't recognize who they were when i was working with them <laughs> but you know it's just once you're outside because forgetting about joan anthony even as a composer if you're doing a superhero movie and it involves captain america there's an unspoken set of quite, um, it's not even pejorative, quite welcome, you know, the, there's an understanding about what musical world you're in. To some extent, I mean, I thought I pushed the boat out quite a long. Winter Soldier 
that crazy track, uh, if you listen to the soundtrack, there's a track just called Winter Soldier. I mean, that is not your average villain sounding piece. It's pretty crazy, um, quite violent. I mean, it's not a very pleasant listen, you know, it's like. <laughs> not, so, a, not a not a write a book to it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, oh, I'm going to, you song. know, exactly. I want to f- drift off to sleep and listen to something relaxing. <laughs> yeah, so don't, don't listen to The Winter Soldier if you want to do that. Um, so, you know, even within the Marvel franchise, there's all sorts of ways to, like, push the boat out. Um, but, you know, it's partly in the nature of the projects. If th- Movies that I've worked on with the Russos that aren't part of Marvel are also not superhero movies. Um, so, you know, it, it, it comes e- each... The proposition of working on a certain kind of film comes with its own musical propositions, anyway, regardless of yeah. the, of directors. So, well, um, that leads me then to I want to ask about um, uh, several things about the Gray Man because it's hmm. obviously a very ambitious movie. It has certain kind of spy thriller, you know, th- things. Th- I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a Bond film. It's you're mm. scoring a version of a Bond film or a Mission Impossible or whatever. It's similar to some of the same things that are in there, but it's also nonstop wall to wall action kind of like yeah. all throughout the film. And, um, and so the momentum of that, I think maybe, you know, is, is, is a little higher octane maybe than some, some of the, the Bond films that we've been familiar with. So what was kind of the approach? I, I know um, I, I was reading that you started the film uh, in your home studio and before there was picture or before you had much of the picture at least. Yeah. So what was the process like? Where do you begin with, uh, a, a, you know, a score like that? It's funny. It was, it was almost, well, no, I wouldn't say accidental because James had just been born and I didn't want to be that useless father. Who's like, yeah, I don't really remember anything for the first year. Cause I was too busy working. I kind of said no <laughs> to everything. And let's see if James was born in March, I knew I wasn't going to really get going on Grey Man till, let's say, the following December or maybe November. So I didn't want to do anything in between because I just, you know, there was a living, breathing organism in the house that I thought was a bit more important than uh, yeah. music. And so having said no, I was like, you know, I'll just try and change a lot of diapers and be a good dad and whatnot. And that was basically the idea. I don't think I had hugely ambitious plan. It was very accidental what then happened. I think I got a call. Anthony called me. It was Anthony and Joe called. So, hey, Henry. So, listen, I know we're miles ahead. We're just filming. Not expecting anything. We just want to throw something out there. We know you're going to come up with some great gray man thing, which is, uh, I'm not saying I was definitely going to. That's them having potentially <laughs> misplaced confidence in me. It's like, we know that. But you know what? We were just shooting a scene today that was more to do with an almost emotional ghost in the machine. What's wrong with Sierra six, why he's, he's got this trauma background to do with his father. And we just want to throw it out there that as well as the stuff, I'm sure you're going to come out with the big theme and action textures and whatnot. Don't forget. There's this other thread to do with um, introspection and uh, emotional lack of resolution and introversion and whatnot. And it just sort of resonated in my head. And I went to the piano and I just came up with this little thing. So I just bunged it on my iPhone. I put the iPhone in record and thought, okay, when it comes to November, I think I got this cool kind of ghost in the machine idea. And after changing, you know, a few diapers and whatnot, I was like, you know what, let me, I'll, let, let me record that thing properly. You know, I'll get it in the computer, put some nice production on it. So at least I've got this like two and a half minute intro that's like a ghost in the machine idea. So I spent a couple of days on that, really geeking out on the production and doing like backwards reverbs and all kinds of stuff and i got that sounding nice and just when i was wrapping it up i got this percussion sound and started going doom, 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 doom. i said oh that's a good tempo actually and i like the five four feel i'll just i'll just put that in so i remember that when i come to november and then i changed a few more diapers like you know what let me let me let me go back and take a look at that let me figure out what bpm that's at and get a bit of a groove going and then i started really spending ages on that homemade percussion sound, taking break beats and engineering them really sort of almost kind of like in holiday mode, no deadline or anything. So, you know, spending forever, like it was like record production from the eighties where people would spend like two days just getting a kick drum sound when everyone had like loads of money and loads of time to do stuff. And I was like, you know what, let me just build like a whole percussion thing. That's really original. doesn't sound like all the usual kind of big drum Hollywood things that you used to. It's just, I've manufactured, and home created all these, um, 
you know, very specifically engineered. I was doing a lot of outboard stuff and putting stuff through all this old crappy equipment, you know, and it was a bit like baking something over and over and over again. So, you know what, I'll just do a quick like two minute kind of demo of all these percussion sounds. They'll leave it at that. I got this cool uh, ghost in the machine theme. Then at least, uh, you know, I've got some original percussion sounds. And I was like, oh, and then I was fiddling around. I was like, oh, wait a minute. And this bass line kind of emerges. So, you know what? Let me just work with this bass line for a bit. <laughs> and it just never ended. It went from a two-minute suite to a four-minute suite to a six-minute suite. And then these chords showed up that was sort of half jazzy and half dangerous sounding. I thought, oh, that could be good for Hanson, which shows up sort of like nine minutes into the... Anyway, this just went on and on. And I kind of lost control of it. It, was, it took over my life. And, <laughs> and it, it was like another pregnancy, you know, this thing was sitting in the studio and over like, I mean, normally you haven't got time to spend like six months on a suite. But since I wasn't doing anything until November, I just kept chipping away. I think, OK, when I get to seven minutes, I've got to wrap this thing up, you know, and then this other theme, this big Mancini thing kind of arrived. And I started and I ended up feeling like I was not in charge of this piece of music. It was basically dictating <laughs> what need. And I just had to do the work. And, and I kept thinking, OK, once I've done this, I'm nearly done. It ended up being 17 minutes long, which is the 17-minute <laughs> uh, Grey Man suite. I finally finished this thing. And it just, it almost became, it got so out of control. It almost stopped being about Grey Man and became this personal mission to like, when am I going to end this piece of music? And all along, I was thinking, <laughs> this is so ridiculous. Spending six months, what happens if Joe and Anthony go, hey, this is a really cool piece of music, but yeah, maybe totally not right. This movie, that's six months of my life. It's, it's one thing to spend two weeks on something and chuck it in the bin if it's not really the right thing. But, um, you know, V a couple of times was like, are you sure you don't want to just send them just like 30 seconds of this thing? Because Joe and Nancy are great like that. They can just hear something straight away, not even to picture anything and just go tonally. Yep, you know, we're in the right place. Or like, you know, it's a swing and a miss kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I just got so protective of it. I'm, like, I'm, this, I'm not showing anyone this until the whole thing is completely finished and engineered. And, like, you know, it became this private obsession. So anyway, it comes to uh, November or December or whatever. Joe and Antti on the phone. Okay, so we finished shooting, getting a bit of a first cut going. Let's talk music. You know. And I was like, well, I've got a little confession to make, which is that I have secretly been, uh, you know, in the laboratory and I've got a 17-minute suite I've been working on. Like, Joe nearly lost it. He's like, oh, my God, I need to hear it, like, immediately. And I said, the thing is, Joe, uh, it, it's almost like a psychological problem because whilst it belongs to me and I don't have to play it to anyone, I can relax about it. The minute I send it to you, I'm just not going to sleep until I get a reaction because I may have wasted like seven months of my life. <laughs> it's, oh, don't be ridiculous. I'm going to love it. I'm going to say, yeah, you might, you might not love it. So I said, let me have one more night, good, one more night's good sleep, and I'll send it to you in the morning. Otherwise, I'm just not going to. You know. So I send it to the guys the next day, uh, and I think Joe was even reacting in real time. He was listening and texting me in real time on his first listing. Nice. Go, I love it. Oh, the space line's awesome. And then Anthony called. This is just. This literally sounds like how it, it, it. They were like, "This is how this is this is what Gray Man should be," but it was beyond how we could imagine it, which is the ultimate compliment, you know, uh, for a composer. So thank God. Otherwise, I would have explained to my partner, "Hey, we 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 could have taken a six month holiday with the newborn in the Cook Islands instead." You know, if they didn't like it, say, like, "Well, what the hell was that six months for?" And you yeah. wrote all of this with no picture, right? Yeah, it was like this is what I think, you know, because I'd spoken to them a lot. And I'd read the script and, you know, you build up a, a, a sort of aesthetic uh, relationship and an understanding. It's, you know, it's still a bit of a, I was, trust me, I was still nervous before Joe started texting, you know, because you, they, it's a perfectly legit reaction to go, hey, this sounds like you've really worked your ass on this and it sounds amazing, but maybe not for this movie. I mean, what, I was confident there's no way you could go, hey, this sounds like any old crap, you know. Right. I, knew, I knew it was a definite thing. It's just it had a lot of ideas, had a lot of bravery to it. But that doesn't necessarily mean someone else agrees that it is the, right. the musical tone. Well, or something. Can, if this if the Russos had said, you know what, Henry, this isn't quite right for us or whatever that is. Is that a 17 piece of music? So after you get over your depression of what have I done for the last half year? Um <laughs> Do you, does that go in a drawer somewhere to, you know, no, next time something just, comes up? Or is that just like, well, that was, that was that. Well, oh, hang on. My audio has just gone. Hang on. Oh, is it? 
yeah, disappearing on. Give me one second. Sure. You still, you still sound, sound good, good to, to us. us. Yeah, oh. something happened my end. I think oh, you're. I Give me one second. Can you? All right. You can still hear me, right? We're getting you yes. loud and clear. Yeah, yep. Um, oh, good. Well, without sounding arrogant about it, um, it, it's happened a little more when you start out. I think the more experience you have of really reading script, knowing your director, really talking through the vision of something the more likely you are to when you kind of go into that initial DNA period of just coming up. I like to, when you have time, it's great to come up with music away from picture because it's usually braver. You're not, if you just go straight into a cue, I'm not saying you can't. I mean, there's, there's plenty of amazing composers just launch straight into a, a cue. But sometimes the mechanics of a scene that you're working on will start to inhibit and dictate a, a different kind of exploration of, you know, if you start writing a piece of music and a baseline shows up in a theme or whatnot, you might want to explore it. And if it were to picture, you kind of run out of real estate because the scene's changed, you know. Right. And you there's never no get to explore that this way too, right? Yeah. You're just kind of clean. Well, clean slate. funnily enough, they had or they'd already because I didn't tell them I was doing this. They'd done a load of temp, and I feel so sorry for the music editors because what happened <laughs> when I unveiled the suite? Joe was like, "Oh my god, there's a preview on Friday. I want as much of this suite." Into the so the poor music editor suddenly got all these stems and got instructions oh. from Joe like make as much of this work for the preview which is in like ninety six hours so they probably weren't is, in a very good mood with me. Is this a normal process for you though? Like how often? No, I, well, I know that getting a movie that early is rare, but are you somebody who tries to make this tries. happen? Or I try. Here's the thing: it, it's too again without sounding cocky about it. If you're working a lot you don't generally have six and a half months lead in time to do something you're very often coming off one thing if you're unlucky and schedules change they're even like overlapping slightly and you're having to come up with ideas for the next one while you're finishing the other one um so but having said that um no i have never done 17 minutes and i've never spent six months it was like a kind of back in the day trevor horn out of noise type level of indulgence you know however I have done quite a lot of suites. For example, that, that track I referenced earlier, the Winter Soldier track on the soundtrack, isn't actually a cue. That one is the original suite that I wrote for Winter Soldier. So, I, I, you know, I've written a bunch of suites, but they tend to be two, three-week experiments, <laughs> not, not 17 minutes and six months, you know. When you have two directors, um, we've talked about this with the Coens and, you know, that situation. When you present something to the Russos, how often or what happens if only one of them likes it? <laughs> That's a really good question. It's actually never happened. It's never happened with fundamental tonal thematic stuff. Every time, like the Captain America suite that I first wrote for Winter Soldier, the Winter Soldier suite, first big, I wrote a big 10-minute thing for Cherry, which they first had. All the big idea overture type pieces. There's never been disagreement between them. It's more into the detail once you get into cues and more specific discussions around a particular scene and you know i mean they're generally incredibly harmonious but the i think the only times there's been a discussion where joe might say one thing and nancy's like well that's interesting i you know i wonder whether we should you know do x would be more specifically not like oh i don't no i'm not too sure about henry's uh, musical ideas more like well there's two ways to skin the cat with a particular scene like this. We could either double down on, you know, the crazy max masculine toxicity of the crazy training and the screaming of the drill sergeants in Cherry, or we could do like a counterpoint, counterintuitive, abstract, weird thing that's not actually physically visceral at all. And is more like in a, in a counter headspace and like, you know, open for discussion. And on the, few occasions that happens it's you know i can't remember what we do just sort of try a bit of both and see what we think <laughs> but it's in all honesty it's funny when you say two directors it shows how harmonious they are because weirdly i even though of course it's farcical to say this of course they're two directors but i sort of think of them as an entity like <laughs> I, I would probably think of them as two directors more if that happened a lot and i was constantly having to deal with the disparity in vision and the complicated logistics surrounding having to take simultaneous music approaches and try this and try that it happens so rarely that i sort of think of them less as two people and more as one directorial 
vision comprising yeah. two people. So you don't find them like dividing things and, and one communication is just through one guy. It's it's always the two of the, you send everything to the two of yeah. them always. Oh, always. Yeah, always. Joe, I think, is in, even more instant. Like Joe is unbelievable. It doesn't matter how many things are going on in his life. You'll get some kind of response within like one minute and 30 seconds. You know, Anthony's, <laughs> Anthony's quick, but he's like a normal human being who might be doing something and then listen to it. And then you'll probably, you know, you probably hear from him that day. And then, you know, we get together for meetings. But when they're reacting uh, individually, um, Joe's so That's a dream like, scenario for you. Because like you said, the, you oh, send yeah. it and then you stew. So the, the oh. quicker they get back to you. I know. <laughs> I understand. Yeah, sometimes I remember uh, like Matthew Vaughan, who's brilliant with music and loves music and is absolutely passionate about music. Um, if you're producing and directing and there's a bunch of things going on, you know, so it is really difficult. There's so much going on. It's like, you know, I have to park this thought for a second. I can't get my head around it right now because I I can't even think about the music to the scene because I'm thinking about like the structure of the story I'm not happy with or I'm trying to change the like and and that need to compartmentalize it more which I totally understand. Um but these guys just seem to, you know, cuz they got a lot going on. It's not just, you know, I'm not selfish enough to think their world evolves around me, you know, the there's other projects going on and they're thinking about future things and they're nailing the directing and and well, a lot. I want to ask you. Uh, I have two other questions that I wanted to ask you about. The first of these is about kind of the directorial vision of music, and like I think a lot of people are very familiar of kind of what you know certain things that a Spielberg approach might entail, or certain things that you know. And of course, it's all abstract, and every movie can be different and whatever. But there are certain kind of musical things that you expect if you go see. A Spielberg flick, you know, you mm. expect some of the John Williamsy things. You expect a certain type of storytelling. Maybe the same with a Ridley Scott. Maybe the same with the, you know, Christopher Nolan. The Russos are in that that kind of upper echelon of filmmakers, you know, at this this stage. How how do you kind of describe their maybe musical preferences uh, when it comes to telling a story? Well, I think. Perhaps more than, oh, maybe what I'm about to say isn't fair. Maybe it's just I'm more familiar having done the projects with them. I was about to say there's a huge musical open-mindedness and eclecticism, meaning uh, no disrespect to, oh my, my God, Spielberg and John Williams is like, you know, the gold standard. But I think you're right. You know it's thematic, it's symphonic, it's orchestral, it's absolute top of the class in that field of uh, symphonic and theme-driven beautifully orchestrated you know you can't say enough in fact isn't john williams now sir john williams it was the late queen's yes. final act <laughs> um, right How so but you're that? right you yeah you, you can mentally picture that and i think when i think about joe and anthony i mean cherry is a million miles of cherry if i had to think of some references it might be aphex twin vangelis meets some kind of indie out-of-tune band <laughs> would be cherry you know, and then I think of Captain America's Civil War and it's got much grander orchestration and they're comfortable with that. And then I think of uh, Winter Soldier, which is sort of a, you know, it's still got the orchestra, but there's a lot, there's a lot of drum and bass and tech yeah. kind of influence in that. And then I think of Gray, you know, they, I think Joe and Anthony have, I remember, I won't mention the director's name, but it, you, you, it is possible to work with people who have a quite defined idea about the limits of what is the musical vocabulary traditionally accepted in school. I remember playing in film school. I remember playing something to a director. He goes, oh, that's great. But it sounds a bit like it's contemporary or it's a song or something. It doesn't sound like film school. I don't think we can do that. And I was like, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, meaning to that particular individual, there was a certain idea of what score should sound like. You know? Right, yeah. And so I think with their producer heads on, I think they're very, rather than, um, I think one of their defining characteristics is the sheer eclecticism and open-mindedness of what could be, I'll give you another example, 21 Bridges has got almost a bit of a Bernard Herrmann influence going on there. And it's miles away from a cherry thing and it's miles away. And I feel like as these Agbo projects go forward, they really have that flexibility of creative thinking in terms of horses for courses. Let's try. 
for this what would what would work for this what would rather than saying let's have a musical language that's you know the same and not the same but in a narrower uh band you know a narrower bandwidth right. i feel like they are as comfortable you know let's imagine in the future agbo somehow do an almost raiders of the lost ark type action adventure um i would be pitching for come on let's celebrate a full john williams you know raiders kind of style and you could imagine an agbo project which is so minimalist that it's some sort of like stripped down electronic and there's not a single note of orchestra in there and they would be equally comfortable in either situation because it's really about what would musically serve the needs of the film and i think the thing particularly with joe that irritates him the most is anything that's not an idea anything that just feels like generic or a bit like not brave enough to feel like an idea i remember with 21 bridges being a good example the music editors had done a perfectly good job of temping it so that, you know, in terms of the psychology of the music, each individual cue they'd put together was kind of doing the right sort of thing. When it needed to be tension, they had tension. When it needed to have action. But it sounded like a bunch of TV shows you kind of heard before, and it was sort of like middle-of-the-road hybrid sort of electronica stuff that was just sort of, you know, not particularly... Yeah, And by the way, I'm not suggesting, you know, people can write scores like that that have amazing identity. The particular choices that had been made... We're all pretty middle of the road. And uh, so we watched it down. And Joe was like, I thought we maybe were going to get into some somewhat detailed conversation about how the tent was working. And Joe and Angie were like, no, 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 forget that. Just I don't want to hear anything. We just need a bigger right. That, that's just like I, I don't even want to talk about the mechanics of any individual scene. That just bored me to death. Right. We need a bigger conversation about like, what's the move? You know, and it wasn't long before Joe had his iPhone out and he was like playing hey, you know, Cape Fear's pretty cool. Like, what's going on with Cape Fear? And I said, well, Cape Fear, that's like a, a, la a totally different harmonic language. It's not trying to do that contemporary hybrid thing. Cape Fear's got a certain... I won't, I won't bore you, Joe, with the musicological details of that Bernard Herman <laughs> harmony, but it's to do with orchestration. It's to do with... It's not a heavily... You know, that's like a long way from a hybrid electronic thing. It's a committed... If you want to go down that if we want to be in for i'm super excited about that that's like a proper idea if we commit to that 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 would be fantastic that's like a a genuine direction that we could do a kind of 21st century uh you know uh musical language pulling on some of that you know and that's a good example like you know he didn't want to talk about um you know a particular action cue halfway through in this temper 21 he wanted to have a conversation about look it's a bit noir this film there's a lot of procedural stuff. There's a lot of tropes that we know. We need a move. We need like a musical identity that isn't what I just heard. You know, so let's talk about it. Um, so I think I, it, it's not that they want to develop some musically consistent language across their projects. I think the reverse is true. They are incredibly open-minded to the full spectrum. Because let's remember yeah. how much we should celebrate. There was a time between 1930 and 19-something or other, when the, what would be considered acceptable in school would pretty much involve a bunch of musicians in a room who were playing violins, cello, double basses, violas, right. woodwinds, and brass. And, you know, obviously, you know, by the time you get to the 70s, there's a lot of funk guitar and drum kit showing up and whatnot. But in 2023, you do a movie, and the great thing is you can expect anything yep. from a really beautiful... Uh, electronic score that's actually super emotional and full of like almost Brian Eno-esque John Hopkins kind of emotion in that very minimalist unmelodic or you could you could have a full bombastic uh, you know uh, symphonic kind of a score more in a, like a John Williams way or the hands influence where the symphony orchestra is now being used in this sort of post symphonic way like Dark Knight in a complete you know there are so many your general audience is now ready to accept almost any musical language from you know that's why you get like singer songwriters doing scores traditional um you know people who know how to handle a symphony orchestra people i'm lucky enough to be able to do like a bit of everything you know but it's it's that being the case that doesn't mean that filmmakers are always like that and joe and anthony really are um uh incredibly open-minded as to any musical influence or vocabulary or texture or approach yeah as long as the, the, the motivation for exploring it 
is that it is going to do something really interesting to support the narrative, not because it's some indulgent fashion statement, you know. Well, and I, I know part of that obviously is they they it's part of your job, right? Is they bring you in and they say, hey, here's here's what we're thinking. What's a way we can make Cape Fear work, or what's a way we can make you know yeah, some, yeah. something like this that we like a little bit of, but how could we implement something like that? Right, um, and very often they don't say. Very often they're like, look, just. Do something and play it to us like you do. So it's like a Christmas <laughs> present, you know. Right. Well, I mean, that ties us back to what we started with, which is, you know, all the work that you did before there was picture, before you had picture um, on The Gray Man. And I, I'm curious about this also because, you know, these these are prolific filmmakers. This is a film that you immediately know is going to have – it's going to be in the spotlight. It's going to be big. Um, it's going to have a lot of attention. It'll have – fans it will like there it'll have haters <laughs> it's going to come course, with like yeah. a whole lot of 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 other things it's going to be a big project um and I, i'm reminded of when hans told us about how he's never really happy with the scores that he finishes and you know the exception i think he said on interstellar i felt mm, like that was all beautiful. i had to say and yeah. like in that case at least for the moment i was happy with you know with with how interstellar uh, played out, but everything else I would do differently. And, um, and I'm curious about this, like whether starting early gives you, I don't know, a fuller satisfaction maybe at the end of the day. Yeah. It's interesting. Maybe with Grayman, by the time I'd finished that damn thing, that 17 minute piece, I actually think, <laughs> yeah, it felt a bit more like a record, you know, records. I used to work in the record industry are, are a bit, when you're lucky and you've got a budget, you really do mess around with the engineering and everything till there's like, you rinse it out. So there's like nothing left. I really do feel like having got to the end of that, that was, I'm not saying you couldn't do any better than that, but within the context of what that thing was, that was about the best it was going to sound and be arranged and all the rest of it. But I, I think I should, I mean, that's one of the things I learned from hands. One of the things that makes hands um, so restless and not by the time everyone's copying hands he's moved on you know right <laughs> by the time he doesn't want to hear dark knight in the temp you know what i mean that was like ah, i did that ages ago um <laughs> i think one of his one of the, his many good uh, great qualities is precisely that that there's a restlessness that he'll he'll really work on something and then as soon as it's the next thing it's like fire all creative imagination into the next thing as if it's a ground zero as if you're not hans zimmer as if there aren't a million posters on the wall with all these huge, but as if there's no, I remember, maybe, I don't know if I should share this, but I remember him looking quite sheepish and pale one day. And I was like, you're right. Hans. And I think he'd got to the point where he'd done this amazing suite for Dark Knight, but, and had sent it to Chris, but hadn't heard back yet. And I remember thinking, you can't be serious. It's self-evidently brilliant. You know what I mean? There's no way there's going to be any reaction other than like, this is just the shit. You know what I mean? And, uh, but, but it doesn't that say something. It really shows you something that there's just like no, if, if anyone could even have a milligram of complacency, it would be the legacy and track record of having nailed so many films, being known for pushing, you know, the boundaries around and doing interesting things. And yet there he was like still as if it was almost an early, you know, early in his career, like waiting to hear back to make sure the director liked it. And I, you know, that is almost the secret to creative success because there's no, well, you took, you took, you took some of that because here I, you are saying yeah. there's no way I'm going to work during this period. <laughs> and then with nobody telling you to, you spent the whole time yeah. writing something that you couldn't, that's true. Once you had it in your brain, you had to do it. And you, th you know, every now and then I go through periods of thinking, I don't know, is this thing just a big old inflated load of old crap? You know, and people coming, what are you talking about? It's great. And you do, you know, you go through that. I remember, I think on that day, I said, Hans, just walk down the corridor and just look at all the, you know, just it's all the biggest movies sort of ever are just all lining the walls. What you suddenly <laughs> think that you're going to lose it on this one. There's just no way. <laughs> just statistically, it's not even going to be. True, quite apart from the fact I'd heard the piece and it was amazing. But yeah, I think that it's true of several, some of the great people that I'm lucky enough to work with. I do notice that people who are often a little bit um, full of themselves or have that slightly annoying arrogance are often, it's often like a defense mechanism for them maybe not being so established or experienced. Very often people who are really, really good are 
sort of self-aware, self-critical and aren't, don't really rest on their laurels at all. It's, it's something I notice in all aspects in the industry. I uh, very lucky to work with the mix engineer, uh, Alan Myerson. If you go and look on IMDb, it's just a giant list. Oh, my headphones have done that weird thing again. Hold on. I think we its internal battery keeps shutting <laughs> itself down because it thinks I'm... Oh, oh, yeah. Give me one sec. It's about to come back on. Um, yeah, so when I work with... If you look at IMDb for Alan Myerson, Alan's it's just amazing. basically... It's just ridiculous. It would be, and he goes through these Woody Allen moments of like, "Oh, my career is like meaningless." It's like you can't be serious. It's like the <laughs> biggest. It, it, you know, him and Sean Murphy, and you know, maybe Dennis Sands, and you know, it, you're 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 in the sort of ultra league, you know. And yeah. every time I work with him, he's always talking about these new microphones he's trying, and he's got these new plugins, and he's on the phone to the developers and. It's never like, oh, you know, since everything I've mixed is always box office gold, I'm just going to do the same thing I always do. He's always restless to, to and, and, you know, Hans has that. And I think it's, it's a quality that, you know, sometimes reduces the quality of your life. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Um, but I think it's not a bad quality to have. And, you know, it ties into what we are talking about earlier. If you are very open-minded about the musical approach, to each project then it really is a bit of a ground zero if it's not a franchise and and uh, especially the russos if you look at their agbo output they're not just doing the same thing cherry is nothing like extraction and uh and, and gray man's nothing like you know cherry and if you look at the things that are upcoming you know they're not just agbo the idea of agbo isn't that we're going to do the same kind of thing so it's sort of inbuilt into the process. There is a sort of beard stroking moment of like, hey, so here's, here's, a, here's a whole new world that could be created. So what are we going to do about it? Um, it? It sort of necessitates that sort of slightly restless questioning um, search for a musical identity, uh, you know, for all these different um, projects. I've got one last thing for you, Henry. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday. So... You know, back in the day, if a movie came out and it didn't go to theaters, it was like, oh, that's a straight to DVD. <laughs> it's not it's not a good movie. It's going to be, yeah. you know, it's a sequel that no one asked for. It's in that bargain bargain bin in Kmart for like exactly. 4 exactly. DVD in the late 90s or whatever. <laughs> but you're part of the filmmaking team and you're in these circles. You, you do a Netflix movie that has a $200 million budget. There's... For for us, the audience, the only thing we see is reviews. There's the audience reaction and then the reviews. But like, how do you? It, it, they say it's the number one film, but there's no stats. How do you? How do you gauge a successful film when it's a blockbuster like this that doesn't go to the the theater? How much information are you guys getting in the aftermath to think like, wow, this paid off? Or yeah, yeah. Uh, well, or is that without, even reliable? Yeah. yeah. Funny. Well, without sounding incredibly. Uh, selfish i mean if i were a producer i'd be chasing that stuff obviously like crazy um i don't really worry about that too much like i'd never bother finding out to be honest because without sounding like too much like some pretentious artist once you agree that you're doing something you just throw everything you've got into it creatively and really as a composer your mission is an artistic mission that there is this motion picture right? and it has a story and it has characterization you have to break it down like literary criticism and the satisfaction you get is a bit like pottery or building a tree house or something like you've made it now obviously i can't be that naive the only reason any of this is possible and the orchestras can be paid for is it's part of a commercial project and it, you're lucky enough that it has a huge budget and i'm very grateful for all that otherwise i'd be just tinkering around on a piano and it would just end up in my iphone and people would never hear it and nothing could be paid for but the whole kind of uh, uh, commercial infrastructure that allows that to be possible, thank God, is not my problem. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm sort of half reasonable at writing music. I would be a terrible uh, business person. I have no intention of setting up a studio or a streaming service. <laughs> and there are plenty of talented, commercially minded people who know how to make all these structures work and know how to uh, 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 set up a project such that there is all this 
money to make it possible. I have no idea how they do that and uh, how they make their money back. I'd obviously I'd take a bit more of an interest if everything was collapsing and there was like no way to do any of it. But I wouldn't be. It's not like I'd be able to solve and go. Oh, let's set up Jackman Studios right. and I'll solve all these commercial problems. The only bit I'm any good at is uh, sort of artistic collaboration with filmmakers and uh, and it's different. You know, Joe and Anthony have to have all these directing and producer skills but once they got their own studio i mean this this is all stuff above my pay grade you know if you build your own studio you you know you've got to have all these financial um uh, you you need the maturity to build a company and get investment and all the rest of it and of course one of the lucky things about being a film composer even more than say a scriptwriter is by the time your phone's ringing it exists think about that for a second <laughs> Think about how many meetings go on every day about potentially this, potentially that. We'll put a bit of development in it. You know, maybe do a script revision. We'll think about it, blah, blah, blah. There are so many stages. By the time my phone rings, it's been greenlit. The money has been raised. The giant, almost military operation of shooting the damn thing has all taken place. There's even a first cut. They've sat in the cutting room with an amazing picture editor. They put this. So by the time it lands on my this whole so many things have need have needed to have already taken place you know um so it, it i know that's a little off the question but it's similar in that in the same way once you start writing music there are a million logistical financial things that very smart people much smarter than me have all somehow resolved such that this thing has been brought into being Similarly, when the when it comes to the commercial side of it, and people need to find a way, you know, to make it work financially. That's just so far outside of, uh, you know, what I what I know about. I guess there's yeah, a bit. You got of... enough to deal with, I guess. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I mean, the, I guess the only bit which is more of an aesthetic, less of a commercial thing, and it's probably me just feeling traditional. There is something nice about a cinematic release, and not so much to do with crunching numbers, more to do with. I know these days people have, uh, regardless, you know, uh, compared to like the 70s and 80s, even if you don't have a super high income household, TVs and the speakers that come with them are definitely a lot better in 2022 than like 1982. You'd have to be a super wealthy person to have some crazy setup in 1982, you know. So it's true, people, you know, the sound is pretty good. However, it is not the same as showing up. Apart from anything else, in terms of concentration, if you go to the cinema, you're not quickly making a coffee and then like putting your kid back to bed because he's woken up and then taking a couple of phone calls and then like hitting pause and then coming back. You have committed. You are sitting down. And unless the movie's so horrible, you actually walk out. You are sitting down to have a committed experience. And the screen is huge. And the sound system isn't two speakers. Or if you're lucky, someone might have 5.1 at home. It's the full uh monty you know so it's also like a big wave it comes out it's there for like two days everyone sees it and then netflix has stranger things season six come out and your movie is now last week's discussion yeah and it's yeah, and yeah. it's moved on where the theaters you know if you have a big blockbuster it can i mean look at top gun i think mm. is still in the theaters in some places yeah um so it's it's such a different world i i, I don't know i was just curious how do you how does at what point does everyone have a meeting and be like, we did it, it worked? Or how do you even know? It's just such a weird thing. Yeah, and I wonder well, how long it, that'll be. Is is that where we're moving well, towards? I'm not really in that. Funnily phase? enough, because again, without <laughs> sounding like, oh, I'm such an artist, the the sort of we did it moment in my relationship with directors and producers is when you finish the dub, as in, it's regardless of the commercial side of it. Here is the finished. That would be like putting the finishing touches on the treehouse you built. Then, like, the commercial part of it is a different thing. I mean, often when things have gone particularly well, you know, I'll text and ring a director or a producer going, hey, uh, just congratulations on, you know, some ridiculous, not like Civil War had some amazing numbers or Jumanji or something. Um, But often the kind of clinking uh, glass of wine or champagne (laughs) moment is really the end of the dub. You know, it's more... I guess producers and directors go into overtime with their marketing department and all that, all the number crunching and figuring out yeah. what a movie's worth on the basis of the first weekend has got nothing to do with me. You know? I, I'm really happy, for, you know, when things go really well, I'm obviously enormously happy for everyone involved because it affects their, especially if they're like a first time director or something, it's a huge deal. 
for their career. Yeah, and often it's cool you know, to see. And it, yeah, of course. And the two are not always correlated. Sometimes you can have someone who does something really interesting and artistically honest and, quite frankly, very well directed. And it just may be the marketplace isn't seeing it that way and it affects their lives. And other times something rather generic and not particularly interesting is put forward into the marketplace and makes an absolute fortune. So, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a crazy... It happens all the time, too. Yeah. These random indie, you know, Napoleon Dynamite just explodes. And yeah. you're like, what? Yeah. But it was great. And yeah. no one saw it coming. Yeah, which is great. Oh, that's that's you need that, and you need that. Otherwise, you know, there's always a danger of thinking with enough algorithmic analysis, art can be reduced to a certain amount of parameters, which people may believe will be successful. And the great thing about the thing that should always be remembered about anything artistic, really, it doesn't matter if it's movies or books or whatever. It's a human experience. It doesn't matter how many times you think you've analyzed the marketplace just you should always celebrate when something comes out of absolutely nowhere doesn't appear to conform to any of the known ideas about what would be a successful thing and make loads of money because it just shows that it's human behavioral art and it's not commercial science that's yeah, you know absolutely very important to remember that well henry we don't want to take up your whole day we really this appreciate been so great. you uh joining us and it's good to catch up and congrats on uh, little james we're looking forward to his uh first what yeah. he'll be at the i'm surprised World he didn't Soundtrack walk track awards yeah. young composer someday <laughs> oh, yeah maybe like by the time i'm like 70 i'll be like oh i can't look i'll come up with a theme i'm too old you, you, you know you can do all the programming <laughs> you guys can be the the jackman duo It'll if he's cool. got any sense well, you know what they say is that they, it's all, the son always does something different. If the mum or dad is established in some field, very often the children kind of react in a different. Isn't it like yeah. you know the vicar's the vicar or like the priest's son is you know rides a you know he's got like a Harley Davidson and a ring through his nose <laughs> yeah. and it's like completely atheistic by the time he's nine. And if the parents are like real hippies and smoking weed all day long, the kids are sort of all conservative and <laughs> they'll go the other way. Right, right, right. <laughs> He'll probably be like a, a, you know, a horticulturalist or a, you know. Or a... <laughs> there you go, yeah. I was trying to think, what would the opposite even be? I guess it would be... Well, something, uh, tragically for me, it might be sort of the opposite of something artistic, you know. Well, I shouldn't say that. He might be some amazing marine biologist. <laughs> He's hearing the or... trucks. He's hearing frequencies. So yeah, I yeah. don't know if it's well, going to be that, that different after all. I don't know. <laughs> He might figure out how to make a hydrogen engine uh, incredibly safe and save the planet. You know, who knows? There you go. Yeah. It's all possible. Well, Henry, Thank thanks you, Henry. again, man. It's great to catch up with you, and uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, guys.